take your Bibles or open up your app and turn to Revelation 18 is where we're going to be today in our time of Bible study as we now worship the Lord in that way and present ourselves to him as living sacrifices. And I tell you what, I really really appreciate the grace that has been extended to our staff and our leadership team in this church during this pandemic. The grace, the understanding, the support. You guys have been continuing to give everything that God puts on your heart by way of emails and texts and notes and your tithe and offering, all that stuff. You guys have been incredible. It's it's been out of control. The Lord has been faithful. Even when we can't see that he's working or don't feel that he's working, he's always working. And I just need to give you guys a little bit of warning right now. I just got done teaching at Antioch Christian training school. We did seven sessions in five days, and I taught, to, taught through 28 chapters of the book of Acts. That's 40 years of the first history of the church, and I'm a little fired up because I know who Jesus is and what he does. And then when we see where we're at now, this ain't no big thing. We got this, and we are the church of God, and he's been faithful. He'll keep being faithful. Listen, even when we or they or us or them are faithless. Have you been frustrated with anybody during the past 28 weeks? Wives, your husbands, you know, have you been frustrated with somebody or maybe it was a leader or one of the people in charge and I'll tell you what, I've been frustrated too. I've been frustrated with myself. I've been frustrated with people in charge. I've been frustrated and there's no fruit in that. There truly isn't. Okay. Instead, the Bible says, cast your cares upon him knowing he cares for you. When we or they or us or them are faithless, he remains faithful still. Guys, it's go time. It's time to dig in and to trust the Lord and to keep doing the things that, listen, will last forever. I don't know if you guys figured this out, but there's a whole bunch of fear right now about getting sick and fear about dying. This is not new, by the way. You all knew we were gonna die. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's not new. Google it later. We're all gonna die. And yet not all of us are gonna live. William Wallace, didn't we catch that? Come on, you guys, give me some help here. We need to live for the purpose of the king of heaven in the times that we live right now. So all you guys who are going through real stuff, I think public school starts tomorrow, whatever that means for our public school teachers and facilitators and teachers and students. We used to do a thing called Send Back Sunday where we'd invite all the students, all the teachers, all the facilitators, all the kids, all the homeschoolers, all the private school, all the charter school, all the dropout school, all the fake school, everyone up front. We'd give away t-shirts and get them all fired up, okay? I'm just gonna say a quick prayer and get right back into preaching. We're gonna pray right now for our Lincoln County School District and for our students, teachers, homeschool. I mean, it is, it's a nightmare right now. We got kids, okay, with parent dual, dual working families that got to work and kids don't have anywhere to go and it's a mess. It's not such a mess where we can't handle it. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a baby. Like I, I like to pick my own mess. I'll make my own mess if I can, please. When somebody picks a mess for me or makes a mess for me, it's like, oh, you know, and it's not that, just zoom out. There's some people in the rest of the world that would love to have your mess. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a third world country saying, you mean you guys had to go to the school drop off and pick up a Chromebook? They gave you a laptop. Oh, that's gotta be tough. And you have to go home and go on your Wi-Fi and use your Chromebook at home? Oh, must be tough. See, here's the deal. I've learned this. There's always somebody that has less than you. There is somebody, if not dozens of somebodies, that would love to be you. And how foolish, how offensive for me to be sad about who I am, my, my, my responsibilities, my, my difficulties, my burdens, when somebody else would say, man, I would, I would, just, I would give anything 
to switch places. So let me just pray real quick. Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray for our Lincoln County School District. For, Lord, all the administrators, all the people that are making the superintendent principals. and Lord, they have been working so hard to hopefully, Lord, make this year not a complete failure for these students and to make it, Lord, manageable for the teachers. And I just pray in Jesus' name, Lord. I was talking to Shelly Moore the other day. Man, she just said, you know how I'm leading my team? We're deciding to take everything negative and make it a positive, to make it a challenge, to make it something that's going to bear fruit. And I was so excited about that mentality. And I pray for Shelly Moore, Lord, and for Aaron Baloney, and for, for Raina Matson, Lord, and the principals here in our area, Lord, and your Quinn of you. And I pray in Jesus' name, you bless them. Bless them, Lord. They're going through it. They didn't choose this. And so I pray your mercy, Lord. Bless the students, too. Oh, they're, so, they're so resilient. Bless the parents, Lord. Give them creative solutions. Lord, what a unique opportunity for moms and dads. Maybe there's some stay-at-home moms that were looking forward to sending the kids off, but that ain't going to happen. And I pray, Lord, that they would settle into that and say, you know what? I only get these kids once. Now I get, I, I get them. And I pray in Jesus' name that it would be great, great redemption, Lord. Continue to guide our community and our, our commissioners and, Lord, get us into phase two and just get us through this, Lord. Get us through this, but may we not wait to bear fruit. May we not wait to trust you. May we not wait, Lord, to do what we can do, trusting you to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Romans, no, Romans. Y'all are crazy. Y'all are crazy. Revelation chapter 18. I didn't mention this in the time of announcements, but we are still going through our five by five by five reading program, where there's five minutes on average per day, five days per week, two rest days. And then if you download the original PDF, there's five questions you ask yourself about how to apply that text. I don't know if you guys read today's five by five by five reading plan. It's Second Timothy Three. Here's the heading, okay, in my Bible. It's an uninspired version, or should I say portion of the Bible where they just kind of put it in there for understanding. Here's what chapter three is about. Perilous times and perilous men. And in mine, it has a little asterisk. Just wait for 2020. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. But 2020, man, perilous times and perilous men. And Paul's instructing young Tim, Pastor Tim. Tim is going to be nuts. He tells Tim, you're going to suffer. It's going to be difficult. You want to be a Christian? Hold on, bro. It's going to be nar-nar. Paul would write this letter, 2 Timothy, that you should be reading right now. There's two more chapters. Read it today. Get back on the five-by-five reading program. Get into the book. And Paul would die shortly after writing this letter. He'd have his head cut off by Caesar Nero. Okay? Paul's not just like saying, hey, it's going to be tough for you, but not me. No, it's going to be tough for all of us. Listen to this. Those are two verses I want you guys to catch. Here's what Paul said to Tim. He said, but evil men, verse 13 of chapter three, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. <laughs> Sounds like the upcoming election. Sorry. Verse 14, but you, sorry, not sorry, but you, verse 14, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. It, it, it just keeps reading. You can read it on your, he says, you though, everyone's going to go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It's going to get next level gnarly. What I want you to do, Tim, though, Pastor Tim, I want you to continue in the things, the things. Guys, I, I just studied through 40 years of history of the first church, first century. And it, the, the, the trials and the difficulties were, were many. And yet they did the same thing over and over they operated for an audience of one, and God uniquely and individually, personally, and purposefully navigated them through each and every trial. Maybe even today you're a Christian, you know all these things, but you've been just walking around like Eeyore. You know, you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice and it just doesn't, you don't look like you're saved. Hey, do you believe all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Do you believe that? Yeah, I totally believe that. Well, how come you don't look like it? 
Do you believe that all your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven already? Yeah, I suppose when you put it that way. <laughs> Do you believe that when you take your last breath here, no matter what it's like, with a mask on or mask off, your last breath here is going to be your first breath in heaven? Do you believe that? Yeah. Dude, not everyone believes that. If you do believe that, okay, hold yourself high with dignity and purpose. This is, most everybody right now is looking for someone to fix it. Are we not? Want my pastor to fix it. Want him to open up the church. Want our commissioners to, to fix it. Want him to open up the county. Want our president to fix it. Want him to, you know, do this thing. I want our doctors in the WHO, the World Health Organization and CDC. I want them to fix it. And I want someone to fix it, okay? And until then, I ain't gonna be nice. You know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna bear fruit. I ain't going to do it. Okay, this isn't how it works. This is a prime opportunity for Christians, for the church of God, to say, you know what? I just, need to, I just need to trust the Lord. I just need to do what he's asked me to do, even if it's been mandated or legislated against, just like when Daniel was forbidden in chapter five of his book, maybe chapter six, to not pray anymore. And he's like, well, I'm going to keep praying. And he kept praying. And he endured the consequences, being cast into the lion's den, not necessarily knowing, just like the three amigos, this might be the end, okay? Kibbles and bits, cat food, here I come. Is that dog food? Either way, they're gonna eat me up. And yet the Lord said, no, I got you, bro. You do what only you can do. I'll do what only I can do. That's the principle I've been telling myself these last couple of days. So, hey, I'm fired up. Turn to Revelation chapter 18. We began in Revelation 18 last week. I taught like five verses, and then I took off to Yakima, Washington. Had a great time up there. And as you guys remember, the book of Revelation is a book, a revelation. It's the revelation, not revelations. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ to John on the island of Patmos. He suffered worse than you. Okay, He had a more difficult time than you. He had more questions than you. He had a, a, a government around him that was worse than yours. And God put him on an island and gave him this book, a future, a picture of what's going to happen. I say that again because you want your fix right now, don't you? I just want to fix right now. I'm an American. Like, I went to Burger King one time and they asked me if I wanted it my way. And I just kind of got my, you know, the bar was set real high by Burger King and I, I want it my way. When John got this revelation, he got instruction, chapters one and two, okay, and three for the church. And then in chapters four and five, he saw heaven, saw the rapture happen. And then in chapters six through 19, he saw how God's gonna take care of everything. He's gonna just roll it all up and figure it out. He's gonna break the seals. And he's gonna take back planet earth and judgment's gonna be poured out and seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowl judgments. God's gonna take care of it. And here's John writing this down saying, okay, so now what do I do? He's like, nothing. You just bear fruit, bro. I got this. This is a future revelation. Now for us who are studying it, I believe it's not too far away. The church has been reading the book of Revelation for 2,000 years. The Bible says in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, those who read it and hear it and keep it will be blessed. Every generation, you'll be blessed. The Bible says that the book of Revelation is given to you and I so we don't act like fools. Proverbs chapter 18, I believe, says, or 28 says, without revelation, people cast off restraint. Let me break that down for you. If you don't know what's going on, you're gonna do dumb, dumb stuff. Without revelation, without a prophetic understanding, you're going to cast off restraint and you're just going to walk off camera like this. People at home watching right now, they can't see me no more. And I'm going to come back on Josiah. Like, Get back on camera, you know. Don't go off, cast off restraint, man. You got to stay on focus. You got revelation, you know what's going to happen. I wish I could say I was this fired up for the last 28 weeks, though. I haven't been. It's been tough. So good to see live faces here today. So let's just read a couple verses and see what happens. It says, after these things, a sequential phrase, 
metatauta in the Greek, it means that something just happened and something will happen. Chapter 17 described what happened, and it was the fall of religious Babylon. It's when God comes down. Babylon literally means anything that's worldly, anything that's opposed to God. It's just against God. Okay, it's in place of God. The Tower of Babel was designed back in Genesis in the early chapters to replace the relationship with God. They wanted to worship God via the zodiac and the stars. And so they built this constellation tower to reach heaven. And God's like, really? And he confused them. And anything that is worldly now or Babylonian in its roots is just in pose to God or in opposition to God. And there is, there's, I was going to talk about a bunch of cool, funny religions out there, but I decided not to, and I'm going to decide not to again. But there are so many kooky religions out there, just man's I've, inventions, just Weirdyville. I lived in Ashland for 13 years, man. It is Weirdville capital, okay? And God says, yeah, I'm going to take, I'm going to take care of that. It's going down. And after the religious Babylon, the religious worldly systems, Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and, and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, anybody who takes anything that God has given to us and perverts it, Okay, seeks to minimize Jesus and twist the scriptures, and eh, done. Just stay, stay, stay true. He says, after that, I'm going to go after and I'm going to judge not just the religious Babylonian system, but the commercial or the material or the stuff around us. And I don't know about you, but I'm just a material guy living in a material world, man. Why are you laughing? So are you. Y'all know what I'm saying? Are you not? Man, we live in such a, 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 a rich society. We have so much stuff. And I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. There are righteous rich, those who have wealth. God's given them stewardship and wisdom and inheritance, whatever the case may be. And they are righteous with it. That is, they are grateful and they're generous. They honor God and they worship him with their wealth. There are also unrighteous rich, people who have wealth, have wisdom, have stewardship, made investments, and they're unrighteous. In that they're not generous and they're not grateful and that they're evil with what God has given to them. Having money is not a sin. It's what you do with your money that determines whether you're sinful or not. Having money is not a problem at all. Money's a tool, actually. Money's a powerful tool to accomplish the will of God and to get the ministry of Jesus out. J.D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men to ever live in the olden days, maybe the early 1900s in New York, was asked, hey, how much money, millionaire at that time, which would be a a billionaire nowadays, how much money does it take, J.D.? to make you happy? And his answer, quickly, just a little more. Just a little more. This guy has millions. Just a little more and I'll be happy. And it's a trick because even if you get a thousand bucks, man, in this room, oh, I'm so happy. And then somebody else gets 10,000 bucks. Like, oh man, wouldn't that be cool? Well, you just got a thousand. You didn't have a thousand. They got 10. I know, but man, 10,000 sounds crazy. And then you find out somebody else gets a hundred thousand. You're like, what? You know, and all of a sudden you're mad at your thousand. Trip out. Oh, we talked about that. Righteous rich, unrighteous rich. There's also righteous poor and unrighteous poor. There are people who, no matter how hard they work, no matter what's going on, they're always going to be below the poverty line. And within that, they're joyful, they're humble, they're grateful, and they're generous. Okay? They don't look at their, their wealth on the scale and say, I'm good or bad. Instead, they ha- it's how they respond to their place on the scale. There are also those under poverty line that are unrighteous. Hey, they're not happy, they're not generous, not stingy, they're, they're stingy, they're bilking the system, etc. I say that, again, to summarize it this way. When we're studying the commercial Babylonian fall, the undoing of all the things that have led to perversion and weirdness, it doesn't have to do with how much you have or how much you don't have. It has to do with how much you have has you. 
This is a constant letting go. Anybody ever have anything? I remember when my parents taught me the tithing principle, that 10% of everything I make goes to the Lord. So you make 10 bucks, you give them a, a dollar. Remember that? When, you, when you're a kid, you're like, ah, oh, uh, and you give the dollar and your hand's shaking, you know, and you give it to the Lord and you're kind of mad about it. Like, whatever, dude, you know, I had 10, but now I only have nine, you know? And then you, then you make a hundred bucks and you, your parents nail you with this one. Oh, you got to give 10 of that away. 10 of that needs to go to the Lord as by way of stewardship and thanksgiving and we learn this and we understand that God wants us to be good stewards of what he's given to us, whether little or a lot. So I say that in a material world as we study these things out. After these things, verse 18, let's get a run up again. Verse one, it says, I saw an angel from heaven coming down having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. We talked about this last week, that as soon as God gets to planet earth in this time, this angel shows up, bang, and it's like the lights go on. You know the difference between darkness and light? When it's dark, you can't see nothing, you don't know nothing, you're wrong. And the lights come on, you're like, oh, huh. Well, now that you turn the lights on, I see things differently. Here's what God sees. Look at verse two. And he cried, this angel mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. God comes down, turns the lights on, on the commercial material system that has developed and will be around during the end days. And he says, it's kind of like a foul prison full of caged birds and demon spirits. (laughs) Next time you go to Old Navy. Okay, and you're there with your multiple bags. Just tell the person behind you, one day this will be a prison full of foul spirits and caged birds and evil, and evil demons, you know? And they'll move away from you. They'll social distance. They'll put a mask on. They'll, they'll, they'll leave you quickly. And the reality is, God, when God comes down, he sees it. I don't know. I've traveled the world. Okay, I've been all over third world countries, and I've seen people living in poverty, dark, deep poverty, where there's no hope. Generational poverty, no hope of even clean water or any sort of real food at all. And it's just how it is. And then I come back here where I live, where you live, where we live. And I said this before. It's not because planet Earth doesn't have enough food and supplies to go around. We actually do. Did you know we actually have enough? In the world, there's enough for every single person to have an abundance. Everybody. Here's the problem. We don't have an abundance problem. Okay. We have a generosity problem. We have a distribution problem. We don't know how to get it out there. We just don't, and we don't, we don't make that our primary problem. We just have it. And there are stores, I took my son to the store the other day and we were looking at this particular meat and this meat was going bad that day. And I said, so this meat, if it doesn't sell today, they marked it down, all this meat, just rows and rows of meat is gonna go to waste. Isn't that incredible? And it's just an imbalance. And I say that not to shame us, okay? That's not the point. The point is, is we need help. Man, we need help. And so what's Jesus do? He turns the light on. Jesus loves to turn the light on you. I hope you guys have figured this out. He loves to illuminate your path and to show you what's really going on. It's painful. It's embarrassing. It's hard sometimes. Remember when Jesus met Nicodemus there at John chapter three at night? It was dark out. It was the first episode of Nick at night. Come on, guys. I'm going to say it again if you don't laugh harder than that. Thank you. And this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus at night. He talked about the light. Listen, please. This is important. Verse 19 of John 3. You guys know John 3, 16. He tells Nicodemus how God's saving the world. Verse 17, he says, God's not here to condemn the world, but save the world. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. Listen up. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Verse 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. I'm just going to say it simply this way. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The light of the world came 
to this world and the, the world received it not. They couldn't comprehend it, John chapter one. You who are Christians, you figured this out, man. When the, light, when the Lord starts flipping lights on and showing the evil in your heart, okay, it's because he loves you. And he wants to get that stuff out of your life. And he's gonna do that. He's gonna redeem. And so when he judges commercial Babylon with the lights going on, look at verse three. Here's his motive. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. He lists nations, kings, and merchants have all been plagued. Listen, I'm gonna say this simply. By commercial imbalance and injustice. Everyone. Do you even get surprised anymore when you hear about a country, ours or theirs, doesn't matter, that has some sort of corruption scandal? Do you even get surprised anymore when a, when a, a country or the people in charge, man, the highest up, they're like, yeah, they're being investigated for embezzlement. They took a bunch of millions of dollars. It's like, wait a minute, didn't, didn't they already get paid pretty well? You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, absolute power corrupts absolutely in money. Paul would say to Tim, young Pastor Tim, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. And here, commercial Babylon, God's like, you know what? I've seen, oh, there are countries, cultures, and races that God is watching. There is kids. Oh, and they have been manipulated and deceived. Merchants and kings and, and, and sellers of all this and, and all the people in charge. Nations have been taken hostage by imbalance and injustice. Verse four, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This again is the heart of God exposed in the shakeup, lights on in the wake up, and then calling people to be taken up. Get out of her, lest you share in her sins and then also enjoy her plagues to come. Again, you guys understand this. I understand this. When the Lord busts you and convicts you of anything, anything at all, when he starts to just turn a little light on, if you say something, the Lord's like, that wasn't cool. Man, I can't, I can't count how many times yesterday I typed something to send. And then the Holy Spirit's like, you gonna send that? And I was like, yeah, what about it? And he's like, I wouldn't send that. And I was like, well, we ain't the same. And how, here's what I, and I sent a few of them on accident, okay? I regret that. But I backed off a few too, and they were funny, man. Some funny stuff I was saying. The Holy Spirit said, that's not funny. That's not good. Don't do it, Luke. Don't do it. I'm 42 years old. I feel like a 10-year-old at times, you know what I'm saying? But, so I backed off. So I, okay, I feel it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knows better. And he knows what's good for me. And he knows what's good for you. And here in verse 4, he's like, get out of her. Don't do it. Well, you don't know me. <laughs> no, I, I, I for sure know you. And I know the future. Man, when you as believers and you guys watching online and you figure this out, listen to the Holy Spirit. Receive his conviction. Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Well, this is what Jesus does. And by the way, I would say this is a future. so fun to study this. Like, this is what's going to happen. This is, in case you're wondering what the headlines are going to be like in 2021, we're reading it right here. This is what's going down. But how many of you guys are shook up right now? He's shaking them up in order to, hey, 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 getting their attention. Have you been shook up? Things, you know, lost your job, lost your peace, and you lost your whatever. He's just all messed up. Easy to point at the world and say, yeah, commercial Babylon, you know. What about a commercial for Shad, you know? What about me? Search me, Lord. And when he does, when, he, no, when you're being shook up, it's usually because he's trying to wake you up and do some stuff. Look at verse five. For her sins have reached heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. A couple thoughts. We talked about this last week. The chronological timepiece 
that God uses to judge humanity is not one of length. Okay, he's not looking at numbers, you know, 2025. That's it, I, I picked 2025. I had no idea what people were gonna be doing, but that's just when I was gonna be bored, you know. God didn't pick a chronological length to judge the world. He said that her sins have reached me. Once the septic tank is full, okay, once it's reached its limit, it's starting to, okay, it's over. There's no more room. It's gotta go. You know what I'm saying. I got more illustrations. I'll keep them to myself. And it says that I will remember her iniquities. <clears throat> kind of cringe at that. Do you remember the sins you've committed in your youth? Or maybe, do you remember? Do you, ever, do you have any of those sins that you committed like 20 years ago? Maybe 30 years ago that just like still comes back to you like every other day? You're like, what the heck, dude? Was, enough! Enough! You know. And here's the crazy thing. Satan remembers that. He will not forget. He's the accuser of the brethren day and night. He's going to remind you of the stuff you did in junior high. The stuff you did in your young 20s. He's going to remind you of that junk. And when you're, oh, you're so mad at yourself, you know, and then you bring it to the Lord, Lord, I want to just talk about that thing I did in junior high again. I want to talk about that thing I did, you know, in my 20s. And the Bible declares, if you're a Christian, he's like, I don't remember that. The Lord declares, I have chosen to forget your sins in order that we would have fellowship. I have blocked it from my memory. There's a handwriting of requirements against you in Colossians chapter 2, and it says that it's illegible because of blood. There's a receipt. Like you go to Costco and they check your receipt. Did you get two teepees, sir? What are you hoarding? What's wrong with you? You know, and they check your receipt to see what you got the right stuff. You're going to go to heaven and you're going to go in. You're going to have your receipt of all the bad you've done. And they're going to look at it and be like, blood paid for. Come in. I, let me just say what I'm seeing here. The sins of the world will be remembered, but the sins of his bride will be forgotten. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. God doesn't remember your sins of your youth. He can't. If he did, he would have to squash you. But instead, he gives you a big old bear hug. He for, and wouldn't that be rad if you did the same for your spouse, for your kids, for your friends? Just forget their sins. Do it. Choose not to remember. Don't dwell on that. Forget your own sins. Give it to the, give it to the Savior. Savior, I need some white out, but it actually needs to be blood out. Get rid of this stuff. Not so for the coming king or for the coming nations of the world. Look at verse six. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. It goes on in verse seven. This is hardcore. This is what the angel's saying. In the measure that she glorified herself, live luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart, here's the problem, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and I will not see sorrow. <sighs> Guys, what we're seeing here is the traits of worldliness. We're going to see it in a couple other verses. It's the traits of worldliness. Now, let's just be real honest. We all got a little bit of worldliness still in us. God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt like that. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. And even when they went into the promised land, they were still all jacked up. Worldly traits, things that the world brings. We see it in verse six. There's gonna be judgment rendered out to commercial Babylon. God's gonna take care of it, which by the way, is good news. You don't have to worry about the judgment of the world. God's got it under control. But we do need to realize that there are some traits within us that will mess with us. Number one, we see self-indulgence. Look at verse seven. In the, measure that, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. Okay, this idea of self-indulgence, having more than you need and not being grateful, not being generous. Not only that, but she had pride. Verse seven says that, that she said of herself, I sit as a queen. 
And am no widow. And also, not only does she have self-indulgence, if you're writing these down, these are traits of worldliness, self-indulgence, pride, but also the avoidance of suffering. She lived in denial of the things that were going on. I'm not a widow. I'm a queen. I don't care what you think or what you see. I'm the... And this idea is not to be seen within our own character. God's so patient. Have you noticed how patient God is? Man, you've been married for longer than 10 seconds. You know. <laughs> you have kids. Oh, man, you super know. He's so patient with you. He's patient. And he sees these traits in you and the avoidance of suffering and pride and self-indulgence, and he gives you another day to repent. To repent, to, to embrace godliness, to look for him in his coming kingdom. Against all the deception, against all the lies. At the very end of the chapter, which we will get to today. Okay, hang on. We're going to get to the end of the chapter. At the very end of the chapter, God's, God's report against commercial Babylon is that her sorceries have taken astray the kings of the world. And the word sorcery is where we get our word pharmakia or pharmaceuticals or various drugs. And there's a lot of applications there. It could be the pharmaceutical world. It could be drugs. Obviously, there's some uh, doors that open up when you do drugs. We all know that. But I believe that it's because God is saying that just like drugs deceive people and people become addicted to it, so too, listen, please, young people especially, the things of this world will deceive you and you will become addicted to them. It's crazy. Until like a drug addict comes to the end of himself and says, no more. What in the world? Avoidance of suffering, pride. Pride will kill you. Do you know that? I just got done teaching through Acts chapter 12. Quick story. In Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa, he's a bad guy, Herod Agrippa. His dad was Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptizer, whose dad and uncle was Herod the Great who killed all the babies. And then Herod Agrippa, and he would have a son who was named Herod Agrippa II. And I just want you guys to understand all that and get a grip of it because it's important. No, laugh. Don't groan. I'll say it again. <laughs> Get a grip of it. Anyway, Herod Agrippa, he kills James, one of the original 12. He's the first martyr of the original 12. He kills him with the sword. Oh. He arrests Peter. He goes to kill Peter. Peter's re, uh, relieved or escapes from the Holy Spirit's power. So Herod Agrippa then kills 16 guards, just innocent guards. And then Herod Agrippa goes up north to Antioch and he has a party up there with some people from Tyre and Sidon and all these kings, those Phoenician kings. And they come down and they start chanting to, to Herod, did you know what you remind me of? You remind me of a God and not of a man. And you are so too legit. And he's like, what's that? Say it again. Say it to this ear. And they start chanting, the voice of a God and not of a man. He's like, now you do it. Now you do it. In rounds, you start here. And he starts just really eating it up. And the Bible says that Herod Agrippa is struck down dead. No, no. He's struck down, is eaten with worms, and dies. Notice the order. He falls down. Oh, oh, pain. Ah. Then he's eaten with worms. He's not dead yet. And then he dies. That's not cool. And God, God, God killed him in that way. And it wasn't because he killed James. It wasn't because he arrested Peter. It wasn't because he killed the 16 guys, which is like, all that's death worthy in my opinion. Like, dude, you're a bad guy. You know what God killed him for? Because he took the praises of God. Because he was prideful. And let me just summarize it this way. Pride will kill you. It will take away your joy. Oh, Jesus washed feet, took the place of a servant. Jesus said it's better to give than receive. But we're so prideful. Just try being prideful. Try being prideful for a week. It sucks. 
It's the worst. You're the worst. You feel the worst. Everyone thinks you're the worst. It's the worst. It'll kill you. Or you could do what Jesus said. Become the servant of all. Oh, do you want to be great? Okay, brace yourself. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Become the servant of all. As a matter of fact, pride, pride will leave you more depressed than anything else. I'm not even messing with you. Think about yourself. You want to be depressed this week? Just dwell on yourself. Look at here, though. Verse 7. All this stuff's going down. Verse 8. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will utterly be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. I like verse 8 because it tells us that God will judge her. He is going to do it. He has the authority, and he's going to do it right, and he has the wisdom. Let me just make sure you understand what I'm saying here. God's going to judge the world. Is that not a good thing? Like, here's why it's good, because it needs to happen. But it's good that God's doing it because we would do a bad job. Have you ever lost your temper before? Got super mad at somebody? Only to realize very quickly after you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Has this happened to you or is it just me? And you are so sure that you're right and you are just launching judgment. And all of a sudden, like a little more light shows up. You're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> you feel horrible. God's going to judge the world. He has the authority, okay? Listen, but he also has the wisdom. You have neither. You don't have the authority to judge people, so stop it. As a matter of fact, for the last 42 years, I've been working on my character, believe it or not. And one of the common threads that I have in my dark revelations and realizations is, dang it, Luke. Wouldn't you just, can't you just learn to respond by saying and thinking, huh, I wonder if I don't know what I'm talking about. I want to respond that way. Because I come across as if I know what I'm talking about. I cut people off at the knees and figure it out. And, ah! and I want to respond. I want to I develop a mechanism within my thinking when I'm mad or frustrated or upset. Huh. I wonder if there's a possibility I might be wrong. I'm just going to muse on that for a moment before I launch nukes at this person. Try it. God's going to do it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, man. Jesus gives this revelation to John so he doesn't trip out. He's like, therefore, verse 8, man, all this stuff's going to happen in a day. I've got that circle, by the way. I want you guys to note this with me. It says in one day this is going to happen. And then three more times in this chapter, it doesn't just say one day. It says one hour. It will happen in one hour. The, the doom that's coming to the economic system in the world when this tribulation happens is going to be instantaneous. One day, one hour. And let me just get to the punchline. It kind of reminds me of a... It could be a war, nuclear war, just take everything out. That's, that doesn't take that long, I don't think. But it could be a stock market crash. Some sort of economic thing where everything the world's been putting their hope in, it's all of a sudden worthless. Have you ever seen the stock market crash before? Where you have millions or hundreds of thousands of stock and everything's, man, it's all going so good. And all of a sudden in one hour, it's worth nothing. And you're like, ha, 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 ha. You know, it's gone. I don't know if it's going to happen. Not planning on being there. Let's keep reading though. It says, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of torment, saying, alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that's commercial worldliness, that mighty city, for in her one hour your judgment has come. Verses 9 and 10 shows all of the people standing afar off 
one day judgment. Maybe they're afraid to get burned. Maybe there is literal fires and nuclear fallout has happened and everything we've hoped in has been exposed. We don't know why they're standing afar off necessarily. Verse 11, though, goes on to say, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. Listen, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Stop right there, eyes up here. This verse should offend you. During this fallout, this chaos, this judgment, this upheaval, the lights being turned on, things being righted, scales being teared out to zero. It says the merchants are going to start weeping. Here's why. Not because of desolation, not because of poverty, not because of hardship, but because sales are down. Because of an economic downturn. See, the world around us is set in such a way where it's to pad the pockets of the rich, me, myself, and I, to get more, more, more. Like Hungry Hippo. Remember Hungry Hippo? And that was so good back in the 80s. Nothing like that game. Just take out all your testosterone violence. Just breaking that thing. Take that, you know. Anyways, working on my character, like I said. And this verse right here says in verse 11, no one buys their merchandise anymore, so they're weeping. Just shows the depravity of man. Verse 12, merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, Wait, time out. I'm going to read this list. This list now details 28 different commodities. None of them are bad in and of themselves, but they all lean towards and speak to affluence, wealth, pleasure, luxury, uh, abundance, more than you need, okay? For some, John's writing this, and all of a sudden this angel's like, yeah, here's the people that are weeping that no one's buying them no more. Listen to this list. 28 commodities. Merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. Now, as I read the list, I'm tracking with some of that, like, no more cinnamon, no more wheat, no more flour. There goes the bagels. Some other stuff in there, you know, citron wood. Oh, no more citron wood. I don't even know what that is, but we're not, we're not getting it anymore. Silver and gold and precious stones and pearls and fabrics and purples. And, and all these things that just speak of abundance. They speak of luxury. They speak of wealth and pleasure. Again, there's righteous and unrighteous ways to live in this world. And God is saying, man, I've seen it. But the list kind of hits the ground hard at the end. Did you see that? Oh, the other thing that's not going to be sold and is going to cause weeping to these rich guys, the things that's not going to be commerced anymore, bodies and souls of men. It's like, like is, that, is that a picture of something? Or are we talking real bodies here? Real bodies being sold? Real souls of men? That, no. And it's, unfortunately, it's happening now. Trip out. Does that not, does, that, does the trafficking industry just freak you out? Like, are you for real? This is happening? When I give it just a little bit of thought, that it's happening in countries, ours included, trafficking, okay? That it's happening is like Looney Tunes. And then I go to the other side of not just that it's happening, there's vendors, but that there's customers. I just don't know. I can't wrap my mind around that. That there's, that, that there's a, a demand. And I don't even know nothing can't even talk. I'm on, I don't see everything. And I'm freaked out. Can you imagine God up in heaven right now? He says, I see it. I see the bodies that are being sold now. I see the bodies that will be sold then in trafficking. I mean, this could mean so many things. It could be pornography. It could be tra human trafficking. It could be slavery. 
could be something in the future. It could be aborted babies, fetuses. I mean, there's just, how much, how much of that stuff's happening right now? All of it. And God says, I see it. That's a, that's, a, that's a commodity to you merchants. Okay, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. Souls of men. I mean, and that it makes this list of these other things. They have redemption, okay? Not bad to have these other things. And yet what happens is, is the whole world. First John chapter two, we studied this last week. Write it down in your notes. First John 2.15. John, John's about to die. He's old man John. Like I said, older than John Smith even. Hard to believe. Love you, John. And John, Pastor John says, hey guys, don't love the things of this world. Like, what do you know, John, more than you? John would say, because the things of this world are fading away. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're against God. And they're fading away. Here's John, he's lived his whole life. He's, he's there now, he's like, huh. That was a bunch of cotton candy. You ever bought cotton candy before? This big old mass of sugar air. Not only does it have zero, like, nutritional value, but it actually like takes years off your life. Your dentist sees you eating it and he just starts rubbing his hands, you know. I see you, you know. It's just, in life, there's so many things that have big, look, you know, ah, an initial, ah, and it's just. This is a tough pill to swallow, guys. To say that this world isn't full of things to enjoy would be a lie. To say that sin and rebellion isn't fun for a season would be a lie. A lie to you. I'm not gonna lie to you. I tell my kids all the time about the reality of sin and the, the lure, the, the joy, the ecstasy that comes from illicit behavior. Don't tell your kids it's not fun because then once they try it and find out it's fun, they're gonna be super confused. Tell them it's fun. Let them know. Like cotton candy initially is fun. And if you eat cotton candy every day, three times a day for a month, okay, you will die. <laughs> but I thought cotton candy was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Careful. And these things in the world. And as a young person, I'm still a young person, whether you guys think so or not, I'm still young. <laughs> Learning. I'm a student. And I want to believe and not just test and say, well, let me just try this, this extra unholy pleasure or unholy luxury or unholy thing. And John's like, don't do it. Don't love the things of the world. For the things of the world are fading away. You're going to die and go to heaven. And the Bible declares you're not taking anything of this earth with you. It's staying back for the big old bonfire. But the Bible declares you can actually live on earth sending revenue and deposits forward. You can live for heaven. You can deny yourself now. It's never going to get easy. I just want you to settle into that. It's never going to Imagine getting in shape one time. Imagine getting in shape. Just look around. There's like at least somebody in here in shape probably. Can you imagine getting in shape? As soon as you get in shape, you know what you got to keep doing? Staying in shape. You don't just like get there one day and like sign it off and then walk away. It's never going to end for you being a Christian in this battle of the mind where the things of this world will pull you down, will allure you and, and tantalize you and try and get you to go their route. It'll never, ever stop. Okay, so don't wait for it to stop. Instead, set your mind firmly on things above, okay, where Jesus is. 
and run your race with endurance. Never stop running. By the way, that's one of the key elements to winning a race is to just run throughout the entirety of the race. You ever done this before? You start a race and stop running, you've automatically lost. You just gotta keep going. Well, all this stuff's gonna come down. A few more verses, it's not really true. 10 more verses, but let's call it a few for your sake. Verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. All the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. Wow, and this angel's cutthroat. I want you to read these guys. Check this out. Listen to how the angel puts this. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. Talk about a dirty trick. The, thing, the one thing you wanted, the angel's warning us, it's actually not going to be there. Like the one thing you wanted more than anything else, it's gone. So prepare ahead. I was trying to think of illustrations because I, I, I learned by pictures. I was going to teach you. I was like, what is this like in our lives where we want something so bad and then we go to get it and it's just gone? And the thing I thought of is that ice cream in my freezer. You ever just had that craving for ice cream? And you're like, oh, dude, I got some coffee ice cream in my freezer. And you go downstairs to get it and you're just like, this is, gonna, this is it. This is it. This is what I need, right? And this is going to make me happy. And you open up the freezer and it's gone. One of your dependents. These homeless people living with you called children. Maybe your spouse stole it from you. And you know, you're like, oh, no! This is just me. It's the only illustration I could come up with. Ice cream. You know, you go to the freezer, it's gone. So disappointed, man. The one thing you've been hoping for. Verse 15, and the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping, wailing, and saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple, and scarlet adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance. Stop right there. Eyes up here. We see now that she is alone and destitute. The merchants are standing afar off, crying out in one hour of judgment. Last week, I tied this together with Jesus' teaching in Luke 17, where in verse 35, it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And then right after he said, remember Lot's wife, okay, remember Lot's wife? Here's what Lot's wife, she got warned to get out. And then she got, she, her heart was going to be exposed. So God says, oh, by the way, when you're leaving and I'm saving you and it's going to be okay and you're going to be delivered, I don't want you to look back. I don't want you to, to look back at what? Man, the stuff they had in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so she looked back and she was killed. And so Jesus said, remember her. The very next verse after that, Jesus says, for if a man tries to save his life, he will what? Rhymes with ooze it, starts with L, lose it going to ooze it with an L. He's going to lose it. But if you deny your life and give it up, you will find it. Jesus is saying, you have a chance. Lot's wife had her chance. It's just donezo, okay? So now she goes down as a pillar for us to look at. That's funny. One hour. Look at verse 17. I want you guys to do a little, little thinking with me. Verse 18, actually. No, let's go 17. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? 
And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. I see 17 and 18 and 19, these verses, these sailors and merchants. Now, the Mediterranean Sea is one of the busiest seas in trading, okay, historically, then and now. This is a busy uh, sea. So it could be specifically all those people who did all the cargo ships and all the sailors. It could be specifically saying about that. I tend to believe there's more to this definition than that, though. If you read the book of Revelation, when Jesus says he saw the beast come out of the sea. Okay, it's not really the Mediterranean Sea. First time I ever read the book of Revelation, I was 19 years old. and I actually thought it was a real beast out of the sea. And I was like, Lord, that's going to be so cool. Big old dragon, Loch Ness, you know. I'm down. Whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm, I'm about about it, you know. And then I realized that, no, the sea is speaking symbolically of nations, rulers, economic system. And this is where the Antichrist will come up. He'll be a political ruler. And as I read this, maybe it's the merchants in the sea, but again, I just want to put this back together. This is an economic downturn, a breakdown, a collapse, a bankruptcy, and I see the trading on the sea as possibly being the world economic system that will come crashing down, as it says here in verse 17, one hour, and as it says in verse 19, in one hour, she's made desolate. Now again, what's the warning here? The warning's the same. I'm going to end with the same thought I've been picking on this entire time, that we are to set our mind on things above, not on things below. That we are to store our treasure in heaven where moth and rust and thief cannot take. I don't care if you're rich or poor. Isn't this cool? Did you know that if you're poor, if you're watching online, you're poor, you're here and you're poor, you have no wealth, no, in, no, no investments, no, you, don't know how, you don't even know nothing, okay? You're just a country bumpkin. I believe it was Abraham Lincoln who said, God must love the common folk because he made so many of them. Pretty sure that's a compliment. And it's something to settle into. I'm just a calm. I'm not going to do anything. Man, I just spent a week in Washington, like up in the hillbilly area, you know? It's just people. People everywhere. And God says, do you want to be rich? Yeah, that's why I buy scratchets every week, man. No, not like that, dude. <laughs> what? I'm going to win one of these days lotto bucks, you know? <laughs> you can be rich and have nothing. Rich forever. We're going to live forever. This life is so stinking short. It's almost over. Okay? Some of you are closer than others. It's almost over. We're going to heaven. And Jesus pleads in John 14 with the boys, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to come back and get you. So stay focused on the things of heaven. And then he gives us these insights. It says, dude, it's, you think it's gnarly? You think it's imbalanced? You think it's unjust? You think it's corrupt? Yeah, <laughs> I see more than you do. I'm going to take care of it. You, however, don't get swept up into the things of this world. Being rich, not a sin. Investing, not a sin. Okay? Accruing wealth, not a sin. Having your heart pure and undefiled before the Lord, not a sin. That's our target. That's our goal. Well, we see now a warning for them, a warning for us. Look at verse 20. Check this out. He says, rejoice over her, O heaven. He's now telling heaven what to do. And you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is an interesting verse. Some people might not like this verse where this angel now instructs heaven, hey, get fired up. Okay, brimstone's coming down. It's going down. 
You're going to be avenged now, you prophets and apostles and the ones who've been taken advantage of. I want to make sure you understand this. The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Okay? He loves... <laughs> Do you freak out how much God loves everybody? I mean, he loves everybody. You ever been to our 6 p.m. service? It's crazy. <sighs> he loves people. And so when it says heavens rejoice that it's all going down, it's not so much going down and rejoicing because of the judgment. Listen, listen. The rejoicing is because of the victory of Jesus Christ. He now is the rightful king. This is what we rejoice over. And you have a choice to rejoice over that or not. It's your choice. Well, I don't like Jesus and his coming kingdom and his Bible stuff. Ugh. Okay, well, if you wake up tomorrow, you have another day to repent. Better get fired up for the thing that's going to last forever. That way you can rejoice instead of being judged. Last verses, beginning 21. Then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and he threw it into the sea, saying thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. This is just a, maybe it's just metaphorical, maybe it's just a picture, this great millstone. A millstone would be used to grind wheat and to make food and to bring sustenance and, and you know, food and energy to people. And God says, yeah, I'm gonna judge you with that. And this mills, I just, just freak out. This mills, this age, oh, tsunami everywhere, you know, it's crazy. Jesus said, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be dead. Then what? Then to cause one little person to stumble in their faith. I just want to say this. The world around us has caused more people to be perverted in their faith than anything else. And God says, I see all of it. It's a word against commerce and, and worldliness and chaos. Don't cause people to stumble in their faith. Jesus takes it real serious in any way. Matter of fact, verse 22, it says, the sound of the harpist, here's more stuff that's gonna be removed. The sound of the harpist, musicians, flutists, trumpeters, MTV, shall not be heard in you anymore. Nor craftsmen or any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. No more bagels, no more fruit loops in the morning. The light of a lamp shall shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride shall not be heard anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth for by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. What he's saying is, is, listen, please, in closing. He's saying all those things that you enjoy and that are good, right, and awesome, unfortunately, you've abused them all. And I'm gonna take them from you now. This is because of ungratefulness and imbalance. God loves to give good things. The flutist, the trumpeter, the, the thing, the millstone, the, the fruit loops, all that God loves to give. But when you are ungrateful, careful, friends, when you are unjust, when you are imbalanced, when you are sinful, God looks at you and he'll give you a week or two or a month or a year or a decade and finally he's like, that's enough, you're done and he takes it from you because you did it wrong. Can you imagine if a waitress came to your table just pleasant and kind and treated you with just such dignity and gave you your food and you yelled at her or him for no good reason, just yelling at them for no reason. The manager would come and say, bye, you got to go. You don't treat my staff that way. You don't treat, I, I, we're here to bless you. And the world today has flipped their nose at God. And God says, I'm going to give you a few more, few more rounds. Today's the day of repentance and salvation. But there is a time. I want to just make this last connection here in verse 23. It says, for by your sorcery, all nations have been deceived. That word sorcery, again, literally means drug use. It's pharma, pharma, pharmaceutical, pharmakia. It could be 
big drugs. Have you noticed that the pharmaceutical industry now is really big? Okay, it's the biggest industry in our country. The biggest drug prescribed to our nation is antidepressants. That we're just, it's, a, it's, it's, a big, it's all messed up, big, big, pharma, big pharmacies. Beyond that, let me just say what drug use in things outside of a connection to God is. It's any resource, any source, any door, any power outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Illicit activities, okay? Drugs, whether they're recreational or drugs, whether they're pharmaceutical, all of those things, just be careful and say, Lord, is this taking place of you? Am I deceived? Am I addicted? There are people actually who've never done any drugs at all in their entire life, but are deceived and addicted into worldly things. Money, power, wealth, pleasure. It's crazy. I'll come across people that have they've never even like never even done drugs. And I like almost can't relate to them a little bit, you know. I'm like, really? That's crazy. Are you lying to me? <laughs> you know? But their lives are so ungodly. I'm like, wow, you never even did drugs and you're so, and you're ungodly? I didn't know you could do that, you know. And it's the deceitfulness. It's like it's like the Lord is saying, Yeah, all this stuff, they've been deceived. Last verse. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints of all the earth who were slain on the earth. I'm going to read to you guys Colossians chapter 3 in closing. This is my exhortation to us as a family. We know the coming future, okay? Work right now today on being generous and grateful. Just generous and grateful. That's it, Christians. And if you're not a Christian... Okay, if you're watching online and you think whatever you think, okay, this is not a suggestion. This is a declaration. It's going to happen. And you can now prepare and plan. And the Bible says you're going to live forever either in the presence of the Lord or in the absence of the peace of the Lord forever and ever. It's called hell. And yet God invites us. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, that means you're saved. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. And when Christ who is our Lord appears, then you will appear with him in glory. It goes on and on and on to talk about the things of God. And I'll tell you what I want to pray for us now in closing. And I'm going to send us on our way because as we pray over God's word tucked away in the soil of our heart, it's going to produce good fruit. God will do and is going to do what only he can do in this pandemic, in this upcoming election, all the things going on. Pray, vote that makes Jesus happy. Okay, show up, do your right thing. Make Jesus happy at the polls. Vote for him. But I'll tell you what, he's going to take care of everything that he can do. But he's given you now the conviction, the fortitude, and the free will to do what only you can do. Let's pray in closing. Lord, in Jesus' name, we love you. You are the God who works, the God who is, the God who was, and the God who is to come. There is none before you. There will be none after you. There is nothing that can stop you. You have spoken into all of these things. Our past, present, and future has been spoken into. And Lord, in Jesus' name, would you anoint us to be men and women and families of God, rising up in the things of God, not getting tangled up in the affairs of this world in order that we might please the one who enlisted us as soldiers of God. We love you so much. Thank you for all you've done. You have always been faithful, even in our discomfort, even in our mistakes, even in our failures and losses. We crown you as king. And Lord, would you anoint us now as we go our way this particular Sunday. The sun is shining. We're so grateful. Help us to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, and to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. We love you, Jesus. Bless the fire relief giveaway tomorrow from 12 to 4 and CR on Tuesday and youth group on Wednesday and Thursday and the women's Bible study on Wednesday and all the things happening this week. We give you our lives. Lead us on, Lord.
We pray against the coronavirus, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we pray for, Lord, our country. Lord, that we would get back to where we need to be, to be with each other and to be with you. Keep us humble and grateful for you know all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.